Hi, I'm Rob Egan, and thank you so much for tuning in to Since You Asked and Even If You Didn't. This is my new podcast, where I will be bringing different friends each week to co-host with me on a wide variety of subjects, from music, cooking, and entertaining, to politics, travel, and friendship. Each week, we will provide unique and interesting expertise to help solve your problems, large or small, whether they exist in your kitchen, your backyard, your workplace, or the world around you. We hope that we can provide thought-provoking ideas that might help you solve your problem. Each week, you will have the chance to preview the subject we'll be covering on Facebook and Twitter before we record the show. There, you can ask us your questions, and then you can tune in to the latest episode to see if we answer your questions on the show. I hope that you'll join me each week as I bring a new friend to discuss things I get asked about and things I don't get asked about. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Tonight, my friend Paul Knapp joins me for a conversation about bipartisanship in the Trump era. I am a McCain-Kasich Republican, and Paul is a Biden-Kennedy Democrat. But we've been friends for a long time, and although it has been quite a while since we appeared on the stage together in the best Christmas pageant ever, we've now moved on to talking about politics. We're going to start the discussion of how the two parties can work together to solve some of our nation's biggest issues in one of the most unpredictable political eras in our country's history. Hey, thanks for having me on here. Well, thank you for joining me. This is going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. I'm very excited. So am I. Okay. My dear friends, we are talking about bipartisanship in the Trump era, and this is going to be a fun one. Here we go. Paul, we've had some questions that have been asked to us on Facebook. Let's get started with one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the first one comes from Gabby Lepore, who was very excited that we would be doing this podcast together. And she asks, do you guys think both parties can ever recover from the extreme polarization that we're seeing right now? What do you think, Rob? Can we ever come back? (laughs) You know, for the longest time, um, the, the traditional aspects of each party have been sort of in power in the party. Uh, with the um, uh, fringe or sort of movements um, happening on the outsets and sort of slowly creeping in and slowly, slowly, and the more establishment roots of each party kept winning. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the fact that these more... um, hardcore, I guess, elements of their party uh, were, were taking hold. Uh, and I do think that the, that the parties can return to some sense of regularity as history would have it um, if a few things happen. Number one, I think uh, that, that those of us who would consider ourselves centrist uh, those of us who would consider ourselves part of the traditional molds of our party um, have to start engaging 
at the local level. We have to start going to party meetings and serving as precinct committee men and precinct committee women. We have to start recruiting people to run for office. We have to start volunteering for candidates. We have to start raising money for candidates, doing whatever it is that we can do, whatever we have the time and the money to do. We have to do it uh, because that's, that's the way that you win. The reason that the current elements of the parties both came to power is because they work hard. They worked really hard, and eventually their hard work paid off. But I do think that the more traditional roots of, of both sides can come back if we sort of get back to working hard and not taking for granted uh, the fact that traditional um, coalitions in the parties are going to be in power. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. I think um, that it has been sort of this slow building um, a, a snowball effect, sort of, and it is built to the effect now that we are seeing, um, you know, two parties on, on very, very separate sides of the spectrum who are most prevalent. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, there, there are plenty of moderates on both sides of the ball game and, um, there's, they are certainly, they exist in power, but we, we don't necessarily see them as much in the media because, uh, they don't, they're, they're not the ones that make the headlines. Um, <clears throat> but I agree with you. I think that the best place to start is on the local level, uh, and, and getting as many people involved as possible who share similar ideals rather than pushing, um, extreme ideas on either side. Well, and I mean, I, I think that both of the parties right now are probably more prominently divided than they have been in a long time, not just against each other, but amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, think about the number of, of Sanders supporters, let's say, who did not vote for Hillary Clinton in the general election. Who, who thought that Hillary Clinton would be so terrible that they risked Donald Trump winning the presidency. Um, and and this, for uh, Republicans who didn't vote for Donald Trump, um, right. you know, thinking that, that um, he would be so terrible that they risked Hillary Clinton, who they campaigned against for, well, for the last 30 years. Um, and I think, I mean, look at the fact... Republicans have control of everything in Washington, right? They've got the White House, they've got the House of Representatives, they've got the Senate, they've got the Supreme Court. But when you look at that, you think Republicans should be getting everything done that they've ever tried. Right. But the farm the farm bill didn't pass the House last week. The Freedom Caucus sunk that mm-hmm. along with the Democrats. And um, then, of course, the, the repeal of the Affordable Care Act that Republicans voted on like 60 times right. during the Obama administration, all of a sudden we didn't actually have a replacement when we got a Republican elected yeah. president. Right. What? Yeah. That's, and that, that kind of speaks to the problem right there is, is being so, um, so strongly against the other party that regardless of whether or not you have something in place to um, fix the problem, 
you are so hell-bent against it that that you are doing whatever it takes to get rid of it and then and then yeah sure enough it comes to where you finally do get rid of it and you have no plan in place um but i do want to go back to what you had said about the issue of of uh sanders supporters who refused to vote for hillary clinton um i originally uh to give your your listeners some insight i i was a strong bernie sanders supporter and when mm-hmm. he did not win the nomination i was discouraged and at at first i did not want to vote for hillary clinton i had a very strong urge to to vote independent to write in a candidate to do anything i could to not vote for hillary clinton it wasn't until somebody really brought it to light for me by saying, you know, if you essentially, if you don't vote for Hillary Clinton, your vote is going towards Donald Trump because mm-hmm. in effect, that's, that's one person's vote on the other side who's going to count and your vote's not going to. And right. <clears throat> there's something sad about that, that you uh, kind of have to choose the lesser of two evils um, in order to make something happen. And I think that that speaks to the problem itself too, where you're not free to vote exactly for who you want to, because it risks electing an individual that you strongly oppose. Yes. And, and, you know, no system I think is perfect. Um, and, And those are the, those are the components of the system that, that every candidate agrees to when they agree to run for president. Um, I think it's a it's a it's something we always say. We're not going to do the lesser of two evils anymore. We always say that, and every single election, in mm-hmm. one form or another, we do it, um, right. because people figure out a way to demonize the other side as evil. Um, and I, I will tell you, and anybody who who listens to this, I was a John Kasich supporter. I think that's pretty yeah. well known that I was a John Kasich supporter from early on. Uh, and I did not hide my allegiance to John Kasich. Right. Uh, when Donald Trump became Republican nominee, I was very dismayed. Uh, I knew that I was not going to support him, mm-hmm. but I did not want to vote for Hillary Clinton. Right. Uh, I, I didn't think she should be president for a number of reasons. Um, but the same thing sort of happened to me. It was explained to me, well, if you don't vote for for Hillary Clinton, then you're voting for Donald Trump. Well, I didn't want to vote for Donald Trump, so I voted for Hillary Clinton. Um, I, I do think that that is a, a big problem that, that we have, is that we we had 22 candidates in the 2016 election, yeah. President of the United States, and the two that we could come up with to nominate right. were Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. What 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 is that? Well, that's a that's a money thing. That's a money and marketing thing. It is. It, 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 that uh, it goes to show you, you know, what what wins elections. It's not all about who has the best ideas, because if 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 who had the best ideas, I, we we very well could have uh, John Kasich in the in the White House, because um, I am of the opinion that he was a, the best of the Republican candidates as well. And, um, yeah, it, 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 that's another big issue is, is the fact that um, where the money is, you know, you follow yes. the money and that's where you find that's where you find the, the winners. 
Absolutely. So let's talk about Paul, sort of our political idols um, and the people that, that define sort of where we sit right now in terms of our parties. Yeah, absolutely. So when I agreed to do this podcast, you asked me two of my Democratic idols, um, which are which do shift. I don't tend to um, stick with one side or the other too um, too strongly. I'm not cemented to anyone, but but I did say that I'm a big fan of Joe Biden and Joe Kennedy Um, Two individual Joe Biden, of course, the the uh, vice president of Barack Obama and Joe Kennedy's kind of the the up and coming, the latest member of the Kennedy family uh, to come into politics. He is currently serving um, as a representative of Massachusetts for the fourth district. Um, And both, I think the reason I like them so much are their dedication to both social justice, but also um, they're, they're, they're not weak. They're very strong individuals. They're tough on crime. They're tough on drugs. Um, They want to see economic reform. They want to see um, the economy do well and be so, and be supportive of itself. But then on the other side, you know, they, they have the social, policies that I tend to agree with. And, and they're, they're definitely two individuals that I think are the best leaders for the democratic party right now. Not they're, they're definitely two of uh, probably a third person for me would be Cory Booker. But um, as far as, as, as people that I tend to agree with the most and like to see the most Joe Biden and Joe Kennedy do it for me. Joe square 2020. Uh, that's a, I, 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 as much as I would like to see that, I am not sure that it would work. I I just, I think that, um, the two are, are too strong as individuals right now. Traditionally, I think, and this may not necessarily always be the case, but, but as of late, uh, the, candidate for the president tends to pick a vice president who is more of a background worker who does things and and um can be strong for the base and not necessarily is the most outspoken person and i think they're two very strong personalities for the democratic party and i don't think that that would um necessarily mesh very well in the white house um and and then as far as joe biden goes he you know he he to to be honest he's getting very he's getting older in his age yeah and and not that that affects his ability to lead because it certainly does not but that is something that has to be taken into consideration when you when you do look at a presidential candidate um, and uh, I think that as far as movements go politically, 
Uh, I think the nation's going to look towards somebody younger um, for uh, up and coming uh, for the future. Well, I think that, I mean, that, that, that is all very feasible and perfectly plausible. On the flip side, though, uh, I think our country, you know, Donald Trump is, is a rather inexperienced president in terms of politics. Um, <clears throat> never held political office before he attained the presidency. Um, and so I think the country could look to somebody like Joe Biden uh, mm-hmm. and see his 36 years in the Senate, his eight years as vice president. Uh, his leadership and prowess on foreign policy as a plus side. And maybe if he picked somebody like Joe Kennedy, who was younger, I mean, Joe Kennedy will be, what, not even 40 in 2020? Right. Um, and, and so if he had a younger running mate like Joe Kennedy, I think people could say, okay, there's, you know, Joe Biden is sort of the elder statesman right now of the Democratic Party. Um yeah. And, and he sort of has replaced Bill Clinton in that way, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but um, you know, I think people could look at him and say, we need his experience, his guidance to get us back on the right track. But he is going to be 70-something years old, and so maybe somebody who's 40-ish like Joe Kennedy is not a bad idea, and perhaps Biden can sort of groom him on what it would take to become mm-hmm president i don't know um but that was that was one of the questions i think that got asked of us is whether whether they were going to be a ticket Um, right yeah yeah and and you know you're right um it's possible that after the whirlwind of events that have been the last year and some odd months um that that we will as a nation look for somebody with a lot of political experience who we know we can trust to do the right thing. And, and if that's the case, you know, Joe Biden is a great candidate, but there's, they, if, if that's the case, there's also plenty of other candidates that are likely to run um, that I think would, um, would, would end up being more appealing to the American people. I suppose my friends that only time will tell. Correct. And so now we move to you and your um, your political idols on the other side. Yes, my my dear grand old party traditionalists, except that they're not. They're both sort of mavericks <laughs> in a way. Um, Senator John McCain, the senior senator from Arizona, and Governor John Kasich, governor of Ohio, um, both former presidential candidates. Senator McCain, of course, a, a nominee. Um, both of them have great books out. Senator McCain just published his new book yesterday, The Restless Wave. Go pick mm-hmm. it up. It's fantastic. Right. Um, Governor Kasich published Two Paths um, after the 2016 campaign. Um, and I think what appeals to me about both of them is, is, well, it's a lot of things. First of all, both of them understand very clearly um, our national defense the importance of strong foreign policy, strong national defense, and excellent national security. I think both of them have uh, impeccable records on, on that issue. Um, secondly, both of them are well known for being supportive of vulnerable populations um, and giving them hands up, figuring out a way to help them 
without making them dependent on government. And I think that that's a really big deal because they're they're teaching people how to take a temporary hand up and turn that into self-sustainability, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. And that's one of the reasons that I love them both. Um, another reason that I love them both is because I think they both have sort of seen the party as their vehicle and not as their master. Um, they never have been afraid to go against the party. And of course, both of them have done things that, that later they think, I wish I would have done that differently. Of course they have. Uh, I don't think anybody in politics can, can ever say that they haven't at some point in their career, especially when you get to the length of career that both Senator McCain and Governor Kasich have had, that they can ever say that they haven't made some sort of politically calculated decision. Of course they have. Um, and of course, maybe they wish it was different when they look back on it. But I think that both of them, most of the time, uh, stick to standing up for what's right. And that's why they're so amazing is because they're often not afraid of the consequences. Um, you know, Senator McCain, as he acknowledges, is in his last term in the Senate. He can now speak his mind freely without uh, concern for for what happens in re-election. Doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, Governor Kasich, you know, is mulling whether or not to run for president again in 2020. But in the meantime, he's going to be very clear about what he thinks. Um, and if he does run for president in 2020, he's making the case to the American people, I think, right now uh, as to why they should choose him over Donald Trump. Um, I'm not saying I agree with every point that he's making, but he's differentiating himself from Donald Trump in a way that I don't think we've seen uh, in an intra-party fight in a long time, probably not since 1980 when Ted Kennedy primary Jimmy Carter uh, right. in the Democratic primary for president. Have we seen such a, a juxtaposition of, mm-hmm. of different ideas from within a party? Yeah, I, I, I was sad to see John Kasich go, honestly, because even as somebody who leans more liberal, I found myself aligning a lot with what John Kasich had to say as, as the, um, when he was running. And, um, I think that he should continue to try and, 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 um, and seek the election in 2020. Um, and, and I want to go back to what you were saying, um, about creating, I guess, the way I would put it is creating sustainability in areas that need it the most, um, which Kasich and McCain are both fantastic at doing. Um, I want you to speak more to that because I actually just, I can't remember the podcast, but I listened the other day to a podcast that was talking about the same. Um, I actually, it was, it was vice news. They they were talking about how, um, in Haiti, when, when they were receiving, they keep receiving so much aid from these NGOs and repeatedly the citizens of Haiti are saying that that's not what they want. That's not what they need. They don't just need the, the, they don't just need food. They don't need money. They need the resources. They need the training Mm -hmm. and they need the jobs. Right. I think it's the mentality of giving a man a fish versus teaching a man to fish. Uh, Right. One will feed him for a day, the other will feed him for a lifetime. And I think that that uh, Vice President Biden, of course, over his long career, has been very skilled at that also. Um, yes. Especially in foreign policy. Um, mm-hmm. I 
am vividly remembering right now Joe Biden's 2016 convention speech at, uh, at the Democratic convention in Philadelphia. And and um, I think it was the best speech I've ever seen him give. Um, because he talked about the importance of never, ever, 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 ever giving up on America. Um, yes. I, now God, it's starting to it's starting to come back to me too. Now I do I do start to recall that as well. And 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 then John McCain in October being presented Constitution Center Medal by Joe Biden, mm-hmm. um, right? T- talking about being wary of spurious half baked nationalism. Yeah, um, both of them, I think, in the last two years have given some of the greatest speeches they've ever given in their lives. Um, and, and all three of them, and I don't—it's nothing against Congressman Kennedy. He just hasn't had a long enough record, I think, for us to really correct. examine it fairly. Very, yes, um, correct. But but I think the the other three have this remarkable record of always standing up for um, American values, always making sure that people have uh, what they need. Uh, Joe Biden maybe is a little more happy to spend government money than the than Governor Kasich and Senator McCain. Um, but but I think it's is really about. For all three of them, their intent is to break cycles. Their intent is to build American success stories. And I think that that's what they've done over their careers. I think you can look at the programs that they've implemented, and then you can argue it politically. But I think, uh, especially on the, on the ones where, where McCain and Biden were together, uh, which is more common, I think, than people realize. Yeah. Uh, that, that, we really created solutions. We did things that were just plain good. Um, we made life better for people in the long haul. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to bring up to you um, before we move on here that uh, Vice President Biden was in Arizona a couple of weeks ago visiting Senator McCain at his ranch just outside of Sedona. Um, and they had a, a long couple of conversations And in that visit, Senator McCain urged Vice President Biden not to walk away from politics. So I don't really know what that means. I don't know if it means he'll (laughs) run in 2020. I don't know if it means he'll sort of get to be, you know, the the hand, the the guy who gets to hand pick the candidate. I don't know if he's going to get to work the strings behind the curtain. I don't know. Uh, But I don't think that Joe Biden is walking away. I don't think that John Kasich no. is walking away. I think that Joe Kennedy is is coming up uh, with a burning flame. And, of course, John McCain, in perfect John McCain fashion, um, you know, maybe maybe nearing the end of his time as he, as he battles brain cancer, but he is not going quietly. Uh, and I think he, he, his goal is to unite us Again, that that I think is his goal, and that's his goal with the book uh, and with what he's saying. I think what he's talking about now are things that are really important. I think Vice President Biden um, and Governor Kasich and in a lot of cases, Congressman Kennedy are echoing a lot of those comments. Uh, and, and I think that that's important. I think it's important for us to remember um, 
that even though our country is really divided right now and not a lot is getting done by Congress and we have a lot to be desired, that it wasn't always this way and that it can come back to the way that it was. We just have to work for it. Yes. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. There we is may indeed. come out bloodied and bruised, but I think that we absolutely can come out of this. I, and, I agree. And, and will. And it'll be through, through the leadership of, of the veterans. You know, yes. uh, it, that's, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, b- before we move on to another topic, we did have a, a, a writer in who wanted a, a, an official update from Senator McCain's health, um, which for those listeners who, who may not know, uh, perhaps on my end of the spectrum that may not know, uh, Rob was able to work for Senator McCain's re-election campaign. Is that correct, Rob? The, the, it was his yes, re-election campaign that you, you worked for, his most, most recent one. Um, yes. So he has been able to have a unique relationship um, to to John McCain and um, so if you could give us just a, a brief I know you're not in the office anymore but but you still uh, follow pretty closely so to let the listeners right. know I've never been in the official office I was on the, always on the campaign side so I don't want to to make anything presumptive because the official office hasn't hasn't uh, given any major updates in in a while. Uh, but I know that Senator Graham was out here a couple of weeks ago, as, as was Senator McConnell. Um, I know that they both uh, said that Senator McCain was was laughing. He was joking around. He was in good spirits. He was eating well. Uh, he was strong or getting stronger anyway. Uh, Senator Graham remarked that he was giving an R-rated commentary to their favorite Western film. Um, <laughs> And, and, and even talking about doing some events this summer at the McCain Institute, which is a wonderful uh, policy institute that they've established at Arizona State. They do a lot of work with that to fight sex trafficking. Um, oh, wow. But, but I know that Senator McCain is, is still doing rehabilitation um, just outside of Sedona at his ranch uh, for glioblastoma. Uh, and I know that he wants to return to the Senate as soon as he can. Uh, I'm sure that he will because you can't keep a good man down. Um, and, and so I'm sure as soon as it is even remotely possible for him to try to come back, that he will do that. Um, he is tough as a $2 steak. Um, <laughs> he is still very much, uh, engaged in the work of the Senate. He just issued a statement today on the passage of the VA mission act. Um, he is still leading through the NDAA as they go through that in the armed services committee. He's the chairman of that committee still. Uh, and he's working very closely with his staff and with his colleagues to make sure that that bill reflects uh, good things for our nation and good things in terms of his uh, ideology in terms of national defense. So he's still very much engaged, and uh, I think uh, he's getting stronger. He had a bit of a scare with diverticulitis a mm-hmm. few weeks ago, and he was pretty weak after that surgery. Um, but he's gaining some of his strength back, and I, I would not be surprised um, if things continue to go well, to see him back at some point this year. But of course, uh, the the one predictable thing about his illness is that it's rather unpredictable. Um, right. It, it is one of the nastiest forms of cancer that one could ever get. Um, and you know, of course, that um, that it is the same cancer that killed Vice President Biden's son, Bo, 
and uh, Congressman Kennedy's great uncle Ted. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's the same thing that they've yeah. that they've all suffered from. Uh, but Senator McCain, uh, as far as I know, uh, is is gaining some of his strength back. Is still very much engaged in the work of the Senate, um, and and is trying to come back just about as soon as he can. Good to hear. That's good to hear. Well, we need him. We need him. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a great figure to look up to. You know, he is. He is. All right. So. On to the next uh, question, which comes from John Shively. Shively? Shively? Shively. Shively. Yeah. Uh, and he asks, how do you guys think we get past the silos that are created by social media where we can essentially expose ourselves to bias-confirming information and block or hide the viewpoints of people we disagree with? Is it possible to make our social media spaces better for democracy? So I'll start on this one. Um, Yeah. Social media is an interesting thing. It is a, it is a fantastic tool. Um, It's, it is how Rob and I have been able to keep up over the years. Uh, And it has done great things. It, it, It is a great way to connect with others, but like the, if you have seen the recent Facebook commercial that has been played um, on, on various stations, they it it became a center for advertisements and fake news and um, algorithms which allow an individual to see only the things they want to see on social media and and that is certainly that is certainly a problem in itself um I think that social media is one of the uh, great causes of the political divide that we have today. And it is very true that people tend to align themselves with the individuals that have the same ideas as them on Facebook. Uh, It has gotten to the point where some people have unfriended or blocked others simply for having opposing views, uh, which is certainly warranted at times when it becomes abusive or um, other, other just vulgar things that can be said on either side. Um, but at the same time, that's a problem in itself. And I think the solution is not necessarily um, making our social media spaces better. I think that um, the work can come from our end. So what I tend to do when I'm on social media Um, When I see myself starting to view things that are only talking about my side, um, it's, it's a very simple thing. You go, you go, go to a Republican page and read some stuff on there or go to a Democrat page and and read stuff on there. Go to one of your friends pages that, that doesn't share the same political ideas that you do and just read through some of their stuff, make some comments, have conversations. That is the most effective way to, be able to see both sides of the coin and to uh, not allow yourself to um, block out others. And that that's, that's the number one solution. I do. I think Facebook has a lot of work to do, um, especially with everything that's happened in the last few months with them and, 
and um, uh, they 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 certainly have things they need to work on. Um, but I do think that it does begin with us. It begins with um, you know one talking to each other, whether you agree or not, and two, it, it also becomes not relying on social media for everything. Um, don't don't use Facebook as your number one news source. Uh, I, I tend to use my iPhone. I go to the Apple news app. I have multiple sources on there, both from both sides, um, that I use and that works great for me. Other people, you know, they use their own, their own apps, their own methods, but I don't think that getting your news from Facebook is necessarily the best way to consume news. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I think that, um, I think that, that, that getting past the silos that we create is, is by getting rid of it ourselves, doing it on a, on an individual basis, um, and, and not allowing it as an individual. And that will in turn affect the group as a whole. I agree with a lot of, of what you said. You make some really, really great points there. And I think the, the biggest problem that we face with social media, which is which can be a, a wonderful tool, uh, as you said, it's how you and I keep in touch. It's how I keep in touch with a lot of people um, because I live quite a ways away from a lot of my family and friends. Um, and so that's how we stay in touch that way. Um, I do get some news from Facebook. I don't get most of my news from Facebook. Um, but I think. I think there are things we can do on social media uh, to, to make that better for ourselves. Like you said, I think we can go read um, pages of an opposing view if we find ourselves getting caught uh, in that place where we're sort of in an echo chamber. Um, but I also think that a lot of the problem on social media comes because we only are interacting with people on social media. Put down your damn phone and go talk to somebody. Right, because the 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 reality is that people in the real world have real world problems. They exist outside of Facebook. Facebook and and what is put on Facebook is not always reality. When people post that perfect picture of the most beautiful cupcake in the world that they have spent hours decorating, they don't show you the pictures of the twenty five that they messed up <laughs> or the flower and sugar, and colored icing that is all over their kitchen countertops. You don't see that on Facebook. You only see the one absolutely perfect cupcake. And I think when people are debating politics on social media, it's the same thing. You only see the perfect views. You only see people's um, well-thought-out, well, not always well-thought-out, but (laughs) people but people's opinions that are written in a way that hopefully is, is a better, one of the better ways they can express themselves because you have the time to look something up if you don't know it. But, but I think you're seeing only part of seeing people who only share your views. You're seeing people on the other side, maybe who share a lot of your views. So they're, they're sort of, they're sort of only halfway on the other side. Right. Um, I, I think you've got to go out into the world 
Yeah. Um, I think you have to, in order to really take a stance on an issue, I think you have to understand both sides to it. Um, understand who makes up those sides and how they got there. Um, you know, you and I, Paul, if I can be presumptive, I, I, we're, we're both fortunate enough to grow up in homes where, um, you know, we had strong families mm-hmm. and uh, we did not worry about our bills being paid or where our next meal was going to come from or right. our lights being turned on. We didn't worry about those things. Yeah. Our parents uh, provided for us financially and our parents provided for us in a lot of other ways that created really strong families and gave us great structures for being able to be more independent when the time came. Um, Not everybody has that. But for you and I to understand that, we would have to go out into the world because Mm -hmm. my guess is without going out into the world, you and I don't have a lot of Facebook friends who who did not live uh, lives like you and I did. Right. And so I think, you know, we have to go out into the world to comprehend that. And I hope that I have done that in some way. I don't I don't think I'm perfect on it, but I do understand. I do understand that there are people who worry every night about where their next meal is going to come from or worry about whether they're going to have electricity the next day. And I understand that those worries come first in shaping your viewpoint. Um, when those are things that are on your mind, that changes how you think politically, and it changes how you vote politically. Mm. Um, and I think, of course, your circumstances do that. Um, your circumstances teach you what you believe is right and wrong and what you believe the government should provide and what the government should not provide. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways, um, the, the people that we surround ourselves with, the environments that we place ourselves in, and the environments that, that we grow up in uh, shape our policy, shape our political views. And so if you find yourself sticking too much to one side, if you're, if you're too tribalist, perhaps, um, go out into the world and, and talk to somebody who feels differently than you do. Just go meet people, learn about them, um, and, and go... Go to the pages, like like Paul suggested. Go to the pages of the other side. Make some comments. Read comments. Read the logic behind what people are saying and try to figure out why are they saying what they're saying. Yes. You know, wh- what is it about people who support Bernie Sanders and their circumstances that make them believe in his proposal to make community college free? What right. is it about John McCain's supporters uh, and their circumstances that make them believe him when he says the world is on fire and there's nobody who can better comprehend and work toward um, solutions for some of our world's biggest problems than John McCain. What is it about John Kasich supporters that make them believe that when he says we can get a balanced budget again while we still help people uh, who are vulnerable populations, what is it that makes them believe that? What about their circumstances make them believe that? What is it about Joe Biden supporters uh, that make them believe in his uh, his crusades against 
uh, rape and sexual assault and in his significant uh, investment for cancer research. What is it about their circumstances? Do they have somebody in their family who's had cancer? Do they have cancer? Um, do they know somebody who is a victim of sexual assault? Are they a victim of sexual assault? If it's a McCain supporter, um, you know, are you in the military? Do you have friends or family who uh, are in a foreign country? Do you have friends or family in the military? Do you have friends or family who came from a foreign country, maybe as a refugee, because their problems were getting so bad wherever they were that they needed to escape them? Um, you know, if you're a, if you are a, a Kasich supporter, um, and you want a balanced budget, what is it about your situation uh, that makes you say yes? The budget needs to be balanced. Is it because you have to balance your budget every month, and therefore you think the government should too. Um, what about helping people with vulnerable vulnerable populations? Are you right. part of one? Do yeah. you know somebody who is part of one? Right. Um, you know, these are the kinds of things that you need to figure out because that is how people come to what they think. And so whether you mm-hmm. yeah, or in the real world, you've got to escape it. You've got yeah. to be a check on yourself. Because it's not going to get any better unless you do. Right. Yeah. And, and, and we would both recommend, you know, at, at the, the, the social media is the bare minimum. You know, that's yeah. that's the lowest level of getting involved. And if you aren't making comments on um, on people's posts, if you aren't defending your own beliefs on people's posts, if you just read them and you stand idly by, um, then then you're not doing anything. That's not helping. Just right. so you know, if if you if you read things and and you even if you you know you you uh, react to it to the post in a negative way, d- if you're not having the conversation, then then you're not doing anything about it. Right. And like you said, it's the it, Facebook itself, social media itself, does create um, and and does um, further the idea of, of tribalism. And um, so for, for people who don't necessarily understand what, what tribalism is, the word kind of speaks for itself, but it, 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 from a political standpoint, um, it's, it's people that tend to align themselves politically with people who are in the same situation as them, who are, who are in the same social network as them uh, and, and conform to the same group. And so all of their ideas conform to that same belief system. And, and that is certainly one of the biggest problems um, and, and largest causes of, of the lack of bipartisanship that we see today. And it, it, it stems in part from social media itself, but it also stems from living in those communities and never getting out of those communities. Rob, both and I, uh, we, we both come from a city where we both have friends that, you know, they, they're born there. They go to grade school there. They go to high school there. They go to college there or somewhere two hours away. And then they come back and they live there. And that's that is their world. And that's the bubble that they live in. And if you do not learn, if you do not pop your own bubble and get outside of that, then you you can't you won't do anything to help the problems that we're seeing today. You won't do anything to um, increase bipartisanship. You won't do anything to see 
the other points of view and you certainly won't make any changes. Paul, let me ask you, because we're, we're, we're having a conversation about bipartisanship in the Trump era. This uh, political era is probably one of the most unpredictable political periods in our, our nation's history because we have a president who's kind of a loose cannon, for lack of a better term. Um, and, but but I want to ask you, because obviously a lack of bipartisanship stems from hyperpartisanship, right? So mm-hmm. uh, do you think that Democrats are so opposed to Donald Trump, the person, um, that they don't really contribute much to the political conversation, that they have become, in essence, what the Republican Party was in the Obama administration and become the party of no. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, there are so many people that 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 look at his character and I'm not going to, I won't speak to his character because there are, there are many things that I don't agree with how he lives his life, but he's our president. And, and you know, what it comes down to is what, what he does politically. And there are people that, that will not support anything he says. He could, he could end world poverty and there would still be people that disagree with him. And that is absolutely part of the issue Um, to fail to recognize that he has done good things. Even I think, you know, there are certain things. um, uh, I think actually you had had mentioned it once when you posted that his response to the, um, the chemical attacks in Syria was a missile strike and, and rightfully so. I think we both agree rightfully so. Yes. Uh, that's something that I can look at from my point of view and say that he did the right thing. I think that moving the embassy um, into uh, Jerusalem was, was the right thing to do. Now, I, I, don't, I don't think there was ever any time that it was going to be great to do it. And I think that there were ways that he could have gone about it that, have, that may have been more peaceful but I think that the embassy belongs in Jerusalem, and I think that that he did the right thing there. And and so you have to be able to recognize, even in people that 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 you don't agree with fundamentally, if you can't recognize when they do something right, um, then 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 the the problem is just getting worse. You're digging yourself deeper into the uh, into the hole, into the hyperpartisan hole. But I think I think there again, that comes back to money. You know, you think about uh, Tom Steyer, the billionaire from California, is saying he will not contribute money to any Democratic candidate who does not pledge to support impeachment proceedings Mm. against Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. That's dangerous. That is dangerous. That is really dangerous, Um, because, first of all, and and I'm probably going to catch some flack for this. I don't like the president very much. I don't like a lot of what he's done. He's done some good things, like you mentioned. The embassy moving to Jerusalem was a good thing. The the, the missile uh, strike response to the Syrian chemical attacks both times was a good thing. Um, and I think he's done a couple of other good things. But th- this whole idea that we're going to impeach somebody who does things that we don't like uh, mm-hmm. is bad. Now, mm-hmm. 
now, let me be the first one to, to add to that, though. If something comes from the Mueller investigation or if some sort of constitutional clause like the Emoluments Clause is violated uh, through something like this deal with China on, on ZTE, if that goes through uh, mm-hmm. and Congress chooses to pursue that, or if the president is found to have obstructed justice in any of the, any of the stuff with uh, Director Cohen or Michael Flynn or, you know, Russian interference in the election and potential influence in his campaign, if any of that is found to be true, um, then yes, I think impeachment would be would be obviously um, important to consider. But until that happens, I think it's very dangerous for us to have a conversation about impeaching the sitting president of the United States, because mm-hmm. no matter who it is, no matter who they are as a person, no matter who they are as a politician, no matter what party they're in, I think it is really bad for our national fabric to talk about something as severe as the impeachment and potential removal of the sitting president right. without really substantive evidence. Mm-hmm. As to why, yeah. you know, um, well, that's why that's what I find ridiculous about people um, calling for impeachment, uh, especially with regards to the uh, the collusion with with Russia. I just just the fact alone that there are people that work, work or worked with Trump who have those ties does not automatically tie him to Russia. It does not mean that he has that knowledge. And I, 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 I side with you. I, frankly, I call the, the calls for impeachment at this point in time are ridiculous. Um, they are dangerous and, and they're harmful. They, they're really harmful. And until something of real weight, of real evidence comes out, there is um, there are there is no reason why anyone should support impeachment. And, and really, the goal should not be to impeach the president, because that's that's the that's the easy way out. OK, the, the way to stop this from happening again is to not let Donald Trump get reelected. That's the real way to fix this problem. It's not to just get him out of there. Now, granted, if it comes, like you said, if it comes back that he's been doing criminal activity, then yes, then then that is, you know, from a legal standpoint, you need to prosecute that. But as it stands right now, the way to fix the problem at hand is to not let him get it reelected, to put up somebody like John Kasich on the Republican side who has a shot at, at defeating him or to put somebody on the democratic side who has a shot at defeating him. That is the best route. I, no, I agree. Um, but on the flip side, I also think there are not enough Republicans standing up to the president. There are not yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, you know, and my party has claimed for a long time to be the party of family values. Well, <laughs> I got news for you, people who love Donald Trump. He has been married three times, and he yes. paid a prostitute $130,000 so right. that she wouldn't say anything about sexual activity that they had together, 
and now she's saying that something still might be happening. And I should remind you that he cheated on each of his first two wives with his next wife. So I really don't understand people in my party who say things like same-sex marriage ruins the sanctity of marriage, but also support Donald Trump, who mm-hmm. has been married three times, who support Newt Gingrich, who has been married three times, uh, yeah. who have had who have had very public affairs, and so mm-hmm. you know it, it, it's it's really bad. Um, and and I think, my God, either get over it and admit that those are values that you pretended to have for political convenience, or grow a backbone and stand up and say. Mr. President, that's not appropriate. Mr. President, that language is not appropriate. Mr. President, those are not words that a sitting president should use. Um, one of the things that I think it, we can find the most bipartisan agreement on is that Donald Trump has not realized yet the weight of the office of the president of the United States and, and the weight of the things that he says and does at this point, as opposed to the weight that they might have had uh, when he was running uh, his his companies. Yes, yes, that's absolutely true. It, 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 the and I've heard actually people defend it by saying, you know, this this is how his we, he ran his company. We don't have a problem. We didn't have a problem then. We don't have a problem now. Essentially, he's doing it the same thing that he was doing there, and so that's why we don't have a problem with it. The other but the consequences are so much greater now. Absolutely. Absolutely. He is the, the, he is the public face of this country. He is the leader, you know, essentially of the free world. Right. Let, let's talk about Paul. Um, things things that that uh, that Congress has done or that the president has done in a manner that are good in the last. Uh, well, um, uh 16 months or so since he, since he became president. Yeah. So, um, you know, most recently, um, we can, you know, you, you, you touched basically on the, uh, on the new VA bill that just passed today. Yeah. 92 to five in the Senate and overwhelming in the house, less than a hundred no votes. So, yeah. So pretty, and, pretty- and that was, you know, there has to be some credit there that goes to Trump because one of the main promises of his campaign was to uh, to help our veterans to make yes. things better, and and this bill it could lead to the fulfillment of that promise. Right, and, and, and I I want to give credit also to to Senator McCain. Um, this is a bill that he co-sponsored. Uh, he was he was the leading co-sponsor with Jerry Moran on it. Uh, this is something he's been working on for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, of course, that, that he is a veteran. Uh, he cares very deeply about veterans. Um, to my knowledge, he is still the only senator uh, who will take veterans' casework calls no matter if they're in Arizona or not. Um, when we were on the campaign, uh, he had five full-time official office staff devoted solely to veterans' casework from around the country. Uh, and as far as I know, that's still true. So I want to give a lot of credit to him. I do want to give a lot of credit to the president. He deserves that credit because he did pledge to help to help the veterans. Uh, and I think that that his 
signature on this can can move that forward. Um, and I also I want to give credit to the president uh, because uh, you're seeing a reduction um, in unemployment rates among African Americans, a, a pretty significant one. And and the president, um, you know, the president has a lot to do with that. I think because of of the tax cut bill. I'm not saying it's perfect, and I'm not going to sit here and defend it all night. Um, but it has had uh, some positive effects in the sense that it's it's gotten some new jobs created, it's gotten some bonuses happening, it's gotten some raises happening um, in some pretty in some pretty big corporations, um, and those new jobs that have been created. Um, I mean, we had President Obama in his last few years as we were recovering from the from the recession had some good job numbers. President Trump has continued on those. Um, there again, I think a lot of that has to do with with uh, smart people at the Federal Reserve in Janet Yellen and now in uh, Jerome Powell, um, who mm-hmm. understand even though we now have raised interest rates, who understand that we can't you know just put them back at normal levels all at once. Um, and so the economy, the credit does not all go to the president. The credit goes a lot to the Federal Reserve. Um, yes. And and to luck, frankly, um, but it it does go a lot to the president and to Congress uh, for the tax cut bill. And one of the things that I think is really really sad um, is that um, you know we've got this 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 hyper partisanship where we didn't see a single Democratic vote uh, for the tax bill. Um, we didn't see, we did not see uh, a single, um, a, a single uh, Democratic vote actually for, um, for one of the budgets that extended CHIP. Now we had Democrats that voted for the long-term budget that did the six-year reauthorization, um, but I think it's it's kind of sad um, for. Chip to be made a priority by by either party or by both parties, and then you have a party that just sits out of the conversation and, and leaves uh, children's health care in the balance. I think that's dangerous. Um, yeah, and, and and you touched on it earlier. I think it's really dangerous to oppose an idea just because of who has it. Um, but I also think it's really important uh, as a message to people on my side of the aisle and to yours too. If you don't like what the president is proposing, propose something different. Yes. D- call your call your congressmen and senators. Y- yes, but but don't just bicker at right. the the negatives to one person's solution. You sh- in my opinion, you should not have the right to complain about their solution if you can't offer something, one thing that you would do differently to, to make that better. Um, you know, and, and I have a feeling my dad might listen to this later, so I'll just bring this up. Um, I, you know, I have cerebral palsy for anybody who is listening to this who doesn't know that. Um, and so I've had to go through a lot of, of adaptability in my life. Um, one of those things was I had to put my backpack on a little bit differently than some other people. And so I sort of swung it over my head to get it on. Um, and one day my dad said to me that he didn't like the way that I was putting my backpack on. And 
I said to him, do you have a better idea? <laughs> a better way that I could do it? And he said, no. And I said, well, then shut up. <laughs> and, and it's the same way in our policy. You have a right to be upset. You do. Oh, my gosh, you do. If you disagree with it, get upset. That is fine. That is democracy. But if you don't call your congressman and call your senator, talk about a reason why you oppose it and something we can do to make it better, you are no more part of the problem than the president. You, 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 are, you are equal in, in contributing to that problem. Um, you are not contributing to the solution. If you are not contributing to the solution, you're part of the problem. Yeah, there's there's uh, a there's a saying that's been going around recently is the fact that the, with regards to the First Amendment, you do have the right to um, to speak your mind. Yes, you do. But you do not have that. Your when you speak your mind, it does not have to be correct. That doesn't have to be the facts. And right. So with and it's that. Not- it's not necessarily free of consequence either. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 like it's, trying it's, to put toothpaste back in the in the tube. You know, once it comes out, you can't you can't put it, it back in. It is free from persecution. That we are protected from by the First Amendment. But persecution doesn't cover every consequence. No. And no, it doesn't. And 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 it also speaks to when you when you don't agree with somebody and you do speak out about it you can be disagreed with in turn you know what you say is not necessarily right just because right. you disagree with somebody and just because you you may come up with a you may have some sort of idea to to combat what the other side is saying but you know you could be wrong and right. you you need to be you need to accept that and you need to prepare that so that when that does happen, you are not turned off from speaking out again. Right. No, I, I, you have to be, you know, you just, you have to be prepared to, to stand up and get knocked down and stand up again, you know, because that's, that's a, that's a fact of life and it's certainly a fact of, of politics. So, so, one of the things that I that, that was bipartisan that I loved so much, not not for the policy outcome necessarily, but but for the reason that it was bipartisan, which was a procedural outcome, um, is the rejection um, of of the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm I've never really been the Affordable Care Act's biggest fan. I think it has some good parts, like staying on your parents' insurance to your 26, not discriminating against people with pre-existing conditions. Those yes. are good parts. Um, yes. But the fact that you cannot buy across state lines, I, I think, it is is bad. Um, Agreed. The fact, the, the fact that it has to be uh, controlled by the federal government, that you have fines that are imposed, or that used to be Congress undid those, I think. Um, but, but. The fact that we had for for six or seven years um, fines imposed mm-hmm. if you didn't have health insurance, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, so it, just to actually touch on that, to uh, for well, I guess again for those who don't 
know who are listening, um, I am in law school and um, just finished my first year. And in my constitutional law class, we um, we discussed um, the the um, the striking down of the fine. And yes, there's a lot of of discord. There's a lot of opinions on both sides of of the ball game. It, it comes from you know, did the government really have the power to force people to participate in a market? Right. And and you know, obviously they they decided no that that the government right. does not have the power to force people to uh, buy insurance. Right. And and. I tend to agree with that. Um, you know, the, you, you are absolutely right. The, the Affordable Care Act certainly has its, has its flaws, and um, there are adjustments that need to be made. But right. in the, the – how many years has, have Republicans been trying to repeal the act now? Seven, eight. Yeah, you know, we're, we're coming up on 10 years, and they haven't come up with – a solution yet that can compete right and and i i think you know you you you, you bring up a great point um that we didn't come up with a solution and that's really not good um because uh to me we failed in our responsibility to the american people as servants of the american people uh, the republican party failed because we had too many people who voted to repeal the law Many, 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 many times with no idea what in the world the solution was as the alternative. Mm-hmm. Now, I think some good proposals have come. Um, if you look at Collins Nelson from, from Susan Collins and Bill Nelson, that's a bipartisan proposal that, that has come that's done, that's done well right. um, to, to address that problem. It, it hasn't passed right. yet. Right. Um, Alexander Murray. Uh, is a good bill that passed to, to try and I think it's in the committee process now to try and lower premiums. That's a bipartisan bill from Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray, the chairman and ranking member of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pension Committee in the Senate. Right. Um, the the thing that that I think uh, is really coming to light in this era in particular, um, because of the narrow majority of the Senate. Um, the 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 fifty one forty nine Republican majority in the Senate is um, especially for those of us in our generation and younger who don't remember uh, two thousand and three when the Senate was effectively a, a tie and uh, Vice President Cheney was doing a lot of tie breaks um, until no I'm sorry it was it was, um, it was two thousand and uh, one the two thousand elections until Jim Jeffords from Vermont switched over. Um, and gave the Democrats a majority. Uh, but it was 50-50 for a while. Um, and a lot of us are, are too young to remember that, but we see it now uh, in the sense that the Senate is the chamber where, where it's sort of, because of the 60-vote rule on legislation, which is an excellent rule, by the way, um, yes. uh, it, it, it's, it, it forces bipartisanship um, because no party is intended to very often have that many seats. It doesn't happen very often. Um, it happened briefly for the Democrats. That's how they got the Affordable Care Act passed mm-hmm. because they had 60 votes, but it didn't last long. And it, it doesn't usually when a party has that kind of numbers. Um, and, and so the, the Senate is really 
forced or not, the more bipartisan of the chambers, um, the House is the more partisan. Um, and I Absolutely. Think seeing, I think you're seeing that very, very much now. Uh, a lot of the bipartisan proposals that are coming out are coming out of the of the Senate. But that's not to say that the House isn't doing good work. There's a lot of good work, especially by the younger leaders in the House on both sides, that's coming out. And I, I've seen a lot of articles uh, lately about some of the bills that are being introduced, uh, including uh, Mia Love, a, a Mormon Republican congresswoman from Utah, uh, who happens to be the only African-American woman in the Republican caucus. Um, now, now, let's just think about everything I just said and now realize that Mia Love has introduced a bill to allow birth control pills to be sold over the counter. Right. Mia Love is a conservative African-American Mormon congresswoman from Utah who is proposing that we make birth control available to young women over the counter. Now, okay. Now, there's I, I have two thoughts. Um, g- good idea, perhaps could could be a good idea. It has potential. It has potential to be a bad idea. Uh, well, most things do. <laughs> the second thought is uh, the the money that's involved in in that and and the and who um, who that would benefit. Uh, I think that the drug companies stand to a lot of profit from a bill like that. And I think that uh, the, um, the health of a woman is a hot topic right now. It, it is. And I am not certain on what the best answer is to go forward. Um, I, I have my own personal views of, of, um, birth control and abortion and, uh, they tend to align a little bit more conservatively, but that it, 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 to see that come from a, a Mormon Republican from Utah, um, well, that it seems that seems progressive. Right, it's a big, it's a big deal, Uh, and I I think that's the kind of thing that's being demonstrated by the younger leaders in the House and in the Senate is their willingness to say, you know what, party leaders, uh, you've served well, but this gridlock, this hyper partisanship, this uh, not liking an idea because it has a D or an R next to it, we're tired. That's not going to work for us. Yeah. That's not going to work for the American people. That's not going to work for the newest generation of people who are registering to vote. That's not going to work. Absolutely. We're not going to do that's, that anymore. Yeah. We're not going to put up with it anymore. Yeah. And that's the, uh, that's, that's part of the solution is the, and, and the, the young politicians that yes. are, that are pushing bipartisanship, that are pushing bills that, that may not do everything that they want but involve things that the other side wants um, and, and using that as a method to get bills passed. Right. The more and, we you know, do that, 
the more we're going to see the parties, um, you know, become, become, come closer together. The, the, the other thing I want to talk about where the, where the parties have, have still very much cooperated in bipartisan fashion is the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, that is like the only bill that has passed every year uh, for mm-hmm. the last 50 something years. Um, and, and Senator McCain, as chairman of the Armed Services Committee, is pretty proud of that fact. Um, as a longtime member of that committee also, in addition to being now its chairman. Um, you know, the, the, the committee uh, has uh, 21 members, uh, and I'm pretty sure that either 21 to 0 or 20 to 1 uh, for last year's NDAA, the committee approved it. And then the Senate approved it on the floor. I think it had like 87 votes in the Senate, and it was approved overwhelmingly in the House as well. Um, and so I think that that's really important, too, to remember that – and now we talk about the, the VA Mission Act, too – that Congress, uh, in terms of taking care of our military and our veterans, Congress is very much united in that front. And I think that's good. Uh, it's, it's really important because uh, it matters a lot to me. And I'm sure it does to you, too, um, Paul, for us to say to somebody who is willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, if they uh, if they are so fortunate as to return to our country after their distinguished service, that we take care of them. Right. Um, And that we thank them appropriately with whatever it is that they need uh, as a result of their service. Uh, to to return to as normal of a life as possible. To do something that a lot of us either aren't willing to do or can't do. Um, yes. And I think that they, they deserve whatever special recognition and care that they require uh, for their service. They, they absolutely deserve it. And I'm glad to see Congress um, very much united in that, in that fashion. Uh, Congress... Uh, also has been united in, uh, of course, we talked about rejecting the Affordable Care Act, but that's for procedure. And I think it's important right. that, that we learn from that lesson and that we take major bills, no matter what party is in power, we take major bills through the appropriate committee process. We hold public mm-hmm. hearings. We let amendments be offered in an open setting. Yes. We let amendments be offered by both sides. And we really work this out because that's what it's supposed to be. That's what we, the American people, send our representatives and senators there to do. Yes, absolutely. That's what they're there for. And, and so I think learning the lesson from that rejection of the Affordable Care Act repeal is really important. Um, but that's an area where they've cooperated in, in a bipartisan way. Um, of course, the sanctions on Russia. The Senate passed 98 to 2. Um, you know, uh, those are important because... Uh, there is no doubt amongst the intelligence community that Russia interfered in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Now, whether they kept it for one candidate or another is, is debatable, and we won't get into that. But, um, but there's no doubt that they, that they did interfere. They had influence in our election. Um, they hired bots to write fake news stories about both candidates and spread them um, to uninformed voters very successfully yes very successfully and the senate passed sanctions against russia i I believe that the house also uh approved those 
um, and that's really important. Um, and I think it's important that the president enforces those because I think it's important that 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 we say if you interfere with the United States election system, perhaps the most sacred piece of our democracy, mm-hmm. then there will be consequences. Oh, yeah. And they will not be easy consequences. No. Uh, they will not be light. And they shouldn't yeah. be. Um, no, absolutely not. It's the, I mean, it's the clear, it's the, it's the things that are, that have to do with defense, that have to do with um, the democratic system as a whole, that, that we can see bipartisanship in its, in its most pure form right now. Right. Um, And, and, and Congress came together to reauthorize CHIP for six years. It was the longest reauthorization mm -hmm. of CHIP in the program's history. That's a really big deal. Uh, yeah, a lot of it's important. Million, nine million children around the country right. are getting health care yeah. because of that. Uh, I really hope the Congress does not approve the president's request for rescission uh, in that budget. They shouldn't. Um, there's a reason that they passed that budget in such a bipartisan manner. They shouldn't go back yeah. and change it now. Um, it should be, you know, that should be the first it, it, in reality. It should be the first thing that that they that they do. You know, it should be the first that. Caring for children, yes, for the future of our country, yes. that should be the very first thing that passes through any any bills they sign, any any conversation they're having should be based on creating the best future for the younger generations. Um, it it was it was surprising and sad to see um, President Trump uh, propose to rescind that it, 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 um, it's, it's, a, it, perhaps there is some, uh, some proposal that he has that, that is going to do a better job. But, but as of now, I don't see that. And I, um, I don't, I don't, I truly don't see that being something that either the house or the Senate will ever support, no matter who is sitting um, it's it, it just I hope children not. is another area that I think will always be um, will always come first. And I say that, but then it, we have so many problems anyway. with education, you know. Yes. Yes, we do. And we'll get to that in a minute, um, which is actually a really great segue to what I wanted to talk about next, which is areas in which Congress and the president um, need to be bipartisan that either they haven't been bipartisan or they haven't acted at all. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Where, where do we need to go? Um, so, yeah, let's, 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 uh, education is the number one for me. Um, we have seen around the country, these, these strikes that have happened, these walkouts that have happened, um, because of the lack of pay for teachers. And I don't necessarily think that that's the number one problem, but I do think that education is the core issue for our country to progress forward. And it is a difficult issue. And I understand why there is such a hard split between the two sides, because everybody wants it to be done right. And everybody has good intentions but nobody can agree on how it should be done. I think that 
there needs to be a fundamental change very soon with how uh, with with one with infrastructure of our schools especially in urban areas um and with education as a whole with with how much of an emphasis we place on it um as a whole throughout the country and with how much credit we give to our teachers mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are some some of the most important issues right now that we're not seeing um, any sort of action that is successful on a on a on a federal level. Right. And it's it, they, one can argue that that, you know, that should be left up to the states, but not necessarily when 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 there's so much of the budget comes from um, federal spending. And, right. I think uh, so. I think the federal government has to uh, put the right regulation into play. Um, and yes, I think we need to talk about infrastructure of our schools, but I also think we need to talk about infrastructure of our education. How are we educating people? Mm-hmm. What are we teaching them? Because I think, uh, in my opinion, one of the biggest problems with education today is that we're not teaching people how to think. We're teaching people how to memorize. We're teaching people um, how to repeat and regurgitate uh, information for a test. But we're not teaching people how to think. We're not teaching people how to problem solve. Uh, We're not teaching people to be innovative. Um, We're teaching people, you know, one size fits all model that isn't ever at all one size fits all. Um, and then we are inappropriately sending people who aren't prepared to go to college to college. We're sending people who don't want to go to college to college. We're sending people who can't afford to go to college to college. We are sending people who, who could do better for themselves going to trade school or vocational school instead to get a bachelor's degree. Um, we have demonized wrongfully technical schools, vocational schools, and community colleges. Absolutely. We have very, very wrongfully demonized those things. We have placed them as lesser, and they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because of our collective emphasis on four-year degrees now, we, mm-hmm. um, we are seeing a shortage of high-skill trade workers. We're seeing a shortage of electricians. We're seeing a shortage of electricians. You are are, are now... You're not looking at... Sorry. No, I was just going to say, what people don't necessarily realize, and it's because of this demonization, is some of those jobs make more than you can make getting a bachelor's degree. Yes, and you don't have nearly as much debt or any debt at all. Yes, yes, and and that's I mean that's a huge, and, and then on the flip side, we're sending so many people to college and and we're giving so many people bachelor's degrees that the bachelor's degree itself is becoming meaningless. Right, right. It 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 is not what it what it should be. It does not hold the weight that it should hold mm-hmm. anymore because we've devalued this. But yeah. but Paul, one of my major concerns about 
the education crisis is not just the way it affects us as we're going through school. It's how it affects our entire lives. Because if you're getting people into what the average now in undergraduate debt is almost $50,000. If you're getting people into that much debt for a bachelor's degree, first of all, for a lot of people, forget graduate school then. Forget right. law school like you're doing. Um, forget medical school. Um, forget that because they can't afford it or delay it. Um, you know, don't, don't do it right away because they can't afford it. But the other thing that ends up being delayed uh, by people having a significant amount of debt um, is marriage, families, and owning mm -hmm. a home. Um, right. We are literally, because of a crisis in our educational system, we are literally putting millions of people at risk of never achieving the American dream that we were all raised to cherish. Right. This is the land where we were supposed to go to college and get a degree and get a job and prosper and marry and have 2.3 children and have a nice home somewhere where we could raise our family and then we could retire comfortably at the age of 68. Oh, boy, is that going away? Um, yeah. And it's going now away. You're, you're paying off your, your student loans till you're 68. Right. Exactly. Thank you. Especially if you go to graduate school or law school right. or medical school, you are taking on hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Yeah. And so what I think we're going to end up seeing uh, in the long run, if we don't address this now, is we're going to end up seeing a shortage of, of um, postgraduate degrees and and we're going to end up seeing a less educated population if, if we don't make some changes to... Mm -hmm. The, our educational structure, we're going to end up seeing a less educated population. Then we're going to end up seeing a less skilled population because of that, because maybe we have skills, but we haven't learned how to use them. Right. Right. Um, and let's, you know, let's, let's go, go ahead and just throw in there the fact that um, a lot of people can't even pay off their student loans. Right. They're going and, to and they're going to default. And, and, and the same thing that happened with the housing crisis Yes. Is predicted to happen with yes. student loans. It's a terrible bubble. And then, if you, mm -hmm. I mean, if you never get married, if you never have children, mm -hmm. if you never own a home, um, and those are things that you once wanted, think about all you're missing out on. And mm -hmm. think for a minute, all of our friends out there, about whether or not you really believe you will be able to retire. Or perhaps, if you're a little bit older than Paul and I are, if your children will ever be able to retire, if we don't soon address, in a bipartisan fashion, the crisis that we face in our educational system. And I do think it is a crisis. I think it's a terrible crisis. I'm in complete agreement with you. I think... Uh... Even now, it's it's retirement. What the average retirement age has has jumped up significantly. Right, right. Uh, and it'll only continue to rise. And right. There's it. It will uh, absolutely something has to be done. Something I, something big. I, but... I just want to just want to put this out there for people who are our age, Paul, because I know we're young and we're not really thinking about retirement yet. But let me put this out there to you: if you have a job. 
and you work for a company that offers any kind of match to your 401k, do it. Do yes. as much as you can afford yes. because getting that matching amount is free money that right. will help you save for your retirement. Yep. And, and you are going to want a retirement. And yeah. it's going to cost oh, yeah. more than you think. Yes. And yes, you know, it is. It is not too early to start saving. Saving for it's retirement. Not. Saving for retirement takes a lifetime. It does. It it absolutely does. So start now. Um, you should start now. I, yeah. I agree. My wife and I have have we have a plan in place, and um, yeah, if you don't begin now, you're just you you're you're uh, you're missing out on money you're throwing money away by not by not investing in yourself yes yes and you're making it harder for yourself to ever enjoy right. retirement your future self will look back on you and and not be pleased yeah the, the whole time machine writing yourself a note and putting it in the bottle thing write yourself yeah. this note right now save for <laughs> retirement today your future yes. self in 40 or 50 years will smile at that note and thank you when you open Absolutely. That, that, that bottle. You will Absolutely. be grateful to yourself. Um, and so maybe you sacrifice going out to eat as often. Maybe you don't go to the club mm -hmm. quite as much as you want. Maybe, mm -hmm. you, maybe you don't have quite as many luxuries now. But when you do have them later, you will enjoy them. And it will be worth that investment. Yes. It's not absolutely. a big sacrifice. It's not a big sacrifice. No. When, when you look at, at bi-weekly or monthly paychecks, that amount is not a big sacrifice, and it pays off a lot in the long run. Okay, mm -hmm. we're, we're going to get off our financial advisor soapbox here. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry to and everybody. Steer but, it back in, but, it but just, yeah, that, the woo! little plug there. Okay. <laughs> really back um, in here. Um, because I think moving on from education, because I do think that's a big problem and we could sit here and talk solutions to it all night long, but we don't have time. Um, yeah. Maybe that's another episode. Um, right. But, but um, the, the other thing that Congress still has to do in a bipartisan fashion is, is fix uh, immigration reform and DACA. Mm -hmm. And I, well, you and I were, were talking earlier before the show about the discharge uh, petitions that have been circulating in the House. Uh, they right. need 14 more signatures on that petition. There are 204. Uh, right. They need 14 more. We've, we've got to get this done. We've got millions of dreamers whose lives uh, and stability in our country are on the line. They are contributing to our Literally. economy. That, that they're making our lives better because they're yes. contributing to our economy. Uh, they're contributing to our neighborhoods, to our families, to our schools. They are becoming a part of the fabric of this country. Some of them have been here since they were children and have right. no idea, they, they, know, right. they know no other place. They know yeah. no other Absolutely. place. And let's not, let's, let's, don't, we, and, and don't, you know, there's no need to water this down. This is, this is true. We have heard this from individuals who may have to go back to the country they came from. If, if this, if DACA does not work out for them, they will die. Right. No, it is a it, fact it, that they, it, they 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 will go back, and their chances of survival are are slim to none. Some of the, some of these places where they came from, their opportunities to succeed are not very high. No. There's a reason no. that their parents chose to leave that mm -hmm. place and come to America, and it's because 
of the lives that they could build for themselves in this country. A lot of the people, most of the people who are in the DACA program are as American as you and me. This is their home. They know nowhere else. It was Mm. not their choice to come to this country, but it Mm. should be their choice to stay. And Congress owes them that. Yes. And let's just owe them that. Let's just touch very briefly on what we talked about before this, how how uncommon it is to to get a discharge petition signed by 218 lawmakers. I read that it is it has happened 25 times since 1935. Okay, so Um, that's 83 years ago. Correct. Twenty five times. So that's like once every three and a half years ish. Okay, so yeah, so it it does not happen. And as far as bipartisanship goes, I mean, this is a this is a weird way to go about getting something done. This is an unnatural way of getting something done. It is. And and what what you touched on before of of using of, of Congress doing their job. And going about the political process and, and presenting bills on the floor and debating them back and forth. Um, while this is a bill that, that, that needs to get done and, and, that, and that we need to um, ease the minds of dreamers, uh, this is not the way that, that the political process should work. No, no. The, but there was there was comprehensive immigration reform that passed the Senate in 2013. It passed with 68 votes. John Boehner was speaker then, and, and he mm-hmm. never took it up in the House. Um, he never took it up on the House floor um, because I think he was afraid of the Freedom Caucus. Well, yeah. Paul, Paul Ryan, Mr. Speaker, if somehow this gets to you in Wisconsin or Washington, I would like to remind you that you're retiring in a few months, um, <laughs> that, that what the Freedom Caucus thinks – shouldn't really matter anymore. You have nothing to lose. That, that you should do the right thing. <laughs> yes. I know it was hard for you to fail with the farm bill last week because of the Freedom Caucus, but mm. do the right thing anyway. Put this up for a vote. Don't make them do it by a discharge petition, please. Don't yes. do this. But right. to the Democrats, to the Democrats. And I'll let you you add your thoughts to this when I finish my rant here in a minute. Um, but it, give something on border security. Put, yeah. put more drones up. Hire more border patrol agents. Um, put more watchtowers up. Give border patrol agents more training. Do something to secure mm-hmm. our border because we should be. We are a nation of immigrants. Yes, we are. Yes, mm-hmm. we are. And we should be. And we should continue to be. But we are a nation of legal immigrants, and we should not, we should not protect this country and the things that we hold dear in this country for people who choose to break our laws. You are correct. I, I think that the reason our illegal immigration problem is so big is because our legal immigration system is a disaster. So we can fix that. Yes, we can. But part of that compromise, I think, if you want this president to sign that bill, and if you want bipartisan cooperation, 
part of that compromise has to be significant investment in some sort of force security. I'm not saying build the wall. No, I think building a wall is ridiculous. It's absolutely stupid. But there are other smart solutions that we can make to secure the border, and Democrats need to come together with Republicans and fund those because that's how we're going to get to comprehensive immigration reform. That's how we're going to get to a deal on DACA done the right way. Uh, and, And that's what needs to happen. We need to go back to the Comprehensive Immigration Reform Act of 2013, and we need to go back to the proposals that were written before Ted Kennedy's death um, as an agreement between him and and John McCain. We need to do that. We need to go back to those proposals, take their framework, update it a little bit, secure our border, reform our immigration system for legal immigration, make this once more the most welcoming melting pot the world over, reform our system for uh, accepting acceptance of refugees so that we can accept more Syrian refugees because that is the next step in the process to fighting uh, Syria's aggressions against human rights. But, but make this a massive immigration reform deal. But you're going to have to, have to, have to put some sort of border security funding as part of that package Democrats need to get over it. It's going to happen, and it, it should happen. Come to the table. Come to the table and promise us something. Any of the things I just talked about, drones, more agents, more training, more watchtowers, some sort of combination of those things, come to the table with those things. Let's have a conversation. Let's get this done. Let's not put dreamers' lives on the line anymore. Mm-hmm. Let's get it fixed once and for all now. So I have two, two, two things on that, I guess. <clears throat> so I, I do agree with you. I think um, the Democrats eventually are going to have to bend. They're going to have to agree to some sort of security. I, I think the wall is – it doesn't keep anybody out. Um, I don't, I think that it, it, uh, it should have that, that, that promise should have been abandoned when Donald Trump got elected and it hasn't been yes. yet. And yes. eventually it will be, but, but that's going to take some time and, and a waste of money. But, uh, I am all for things that work. Yeah. Um, when we see some, you know, the, the evidence of, of the things that do work, uh, drones, certainly certainly help uh, it's an easy way to keep eyes in that can cover vastly more mm-hmm, area than mm-hmm. than just more agents do mm-hmm. um and so two i will say that um one of the reasons that we have people coming in illegally is that is that our legal immigration system is is horrid um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. needs to be fixed and mm-hmm. the other reason is that they're coming from an area that is so uncivilized, so dangerous that they'll do anything to get out of it. Right. And that is, you know, a humanitarian crisis that I think that Mm -hmm. we need to do something to help that out as well. Yes, we do. Yes, we we need to reform our refugee process and our temporary, uh, our, our temporary, uh, asylum, 
process that that needs to be mm-hmm. uh, reformed massively along with this. And and I will will add for you, people in my party get over the flipping wall. It's mm-hmm. a waste of time. It's a mm-hmm. waste of money. Get over it. Forget it. Take it off the table. It should yeah. not be part of the discussion ever, ever. It should not be part of it. We should not build the wall. No, no. There are so many more things we can spend. If Donald Trump wants to rescind $15 billion from children's health care, then there is no argument to be made for the feasibility of affording the cost of a border wall that spans the entire length of the U.S.-Mexico border. There is none. There's none. No. And, and, and you know, the reality is the wall would come down. Yes. There's only there's there's it would last through his presidency. And then perhaps even by the next presidency, that wall would be torn down. And there are so many natural resources that would be inhibited Absolutely. by Absolutely. the construction. That way, it, it, it is not feasible for a physical wall to be built across the entire U.S.-Mexico border. There would be lapses in it. Otherwise, natural resources would cease in so many different areas. Rivers and dams and, and agricultural systems would be ruined. And so in order to, to save those, there would be lapses in the physical barrier, which makes it a waste of time to begin with, frankly. Right. And so we should abandon that. But we really we need to think about Republicans want to secure the border. Let's secure the border. OK, Democrats, mm-hmm. come and secure the border with us. Present present some sensible solutions. Let's do this. Democrats have made it a priority that they, they want to solve DACA. Jeff Flake is, a, is my junior senator here from Arizona, uh, is, is one of the leading Republicans on DACA. John McCain is led on immigration reform. But Democrats, let, let's come to the table. And Republicans, we, we will do border security. We'll do that. In exchange for that, do comprehensive immigration reform, comprehensive refugee and, and uh, asylum system reform. Let's get this done so that we can be we can be sure, number one, of who's coming over our border, of who's yeah. coming into our country. We can be sure of that. We can be sure that they are uh, that, that none of them or, or that as few as possible intend upon their entry into this country to, to do harm um, to the American people, no matter what country they come from. Um, we, we should not be allowing people who want to do harm to us into our country. That would be stupid. Um, so, so let's fix that and make sure that we are, that we are blocking as many people who want to do us harm from entering our country as possible. But for the people who are seeking asylum, for the people who are seeking a better way of life, for the people who want to receive a, a, a higher education, for the people who want to earn more money for the people who want a better opportunity for their family, let's make it easy for them to come into our country, to become part of the fabric of our nation, to uh, educate us on their culture and to have us educate them on ours, for the cultures to become intertwined and for all of our lives to be better because of their choice. Mm-hmm. to become an American citizen. Let's yeah. make it easier for them to do that while we also protect ourselves from people who want to do us harm, from people yeah. who want to, to take advantage of our generosity, abuse our laws, 
we, we should prohibit that as much as we can, but we should also be welcoming to people who want to do things the right way. And we should we should incentivize doing things the right way. I think the, the, the major problem, as we've discussed with our current system, is that we essentially, by the dumpster fire that is our legal immigration system, we are incentivizing illegal immigration. Yeah, we do. So now, finally, the yeah. for, for anybody who's made it this far into our podcast, <laughs> they would be remiss if we, we, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about perhaps the most um, split issue today, uh, which would happen to be uh, gun reform. Oh, yes. So, yes. So, I, I want to talk about a couple of bills that have been introduced in the, in the Senate that are good bipartisan bills that I think we can make progress on because we could talk about gun reform as long as we could talk about education reform, maybe even longer. Um, and uh, so, I want to give it its due, but I know we have a couple other things we need to talk about before we finish tonight. We've been going for almost two hours. Um, so, um, the Susan Collins bill that she's introduced with, with Tim Kaine and Martin Heinrich and Jeff Flake and Angus King, uh, which is the No Fly No Buy bill, um, is right. a bill that merits some consideration. Let's consider that. Let's have a discussion. Let's have hearings. Let's have amendments. But let's use it as a framework and start there. Okay, let's do that one. Then there is a bill from Senator Murphy and Senator Feinstein. Um, that Senator Cornyn from Texas, the Senate, minor, uh, Senate Majority Whip, and Senator Hatch, the, the Senate Finance Chair, and Senate President Pro Tem, uh, have co-sponsored. It's two Republicans, two Democrats. That is to fix uh, the NICS, the background reporting system, um, and, and fix some of the errors uh, in reporting and some of the lapses in reporting, lapses in follow-ups from that system yeah. um, that have caused uh, some of the major issues that contributed to a few of the last school shootings. Um, those bills are, are on the table, right? We should, we should start there. Yeah. We also, I think should revive, um, Toomey mansion, uh, closing the, the yeah. gun show loophole. As right. It were. right. Um, so these are good proposals. L- ban bump stocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow the, the president deserves credit for that in, right. in asking the department of justice to issue a guidance about banning bump stocks. Right. And I, I want to give the president credit for that. That that was a major contributor to the Las Vegas uh, shooting, the the, mm-hmm. the the worst one one of the worst mass shootings in our country's history, um, and I think that he deserves a lot of credit. Yeah. Um, for for doing that, um, and so I want to say, well done, Mr. President, and for anybody that just heard those words come out of my mouth, yes, it did have a little bit of a bitter taste, <laughs> but it, but uh, give credit where credit is due. Um, yes. And credit is certainly due to the president on that issue. Um, and I also think we've got other laws on the books that we don't enforce. So if we do any or all of these fixes, any or all these new laws, we also have to include in there enforcement mechanisms for the laws that mm-hmm. we already have on the books. Because yeah. schools should be safe for our yeah. kids to go to. Parents should not have to worry about whether or not their children will come home safely at night from school. No, that, that should be an automatic guarantee. School should be a pleasant escape for children. Children yeah. should be able to enjoy 
learning. Children should be able to immerse themselves in learning and not have to worry about whether Jimmy, uh, you know, who maybe is kind of a, a bully, um, whether Jimmy in six years when they get into high school um, will come to school with an AK-47 and, and kill everybody. Right. No, but but also, uh, I, I want to say, people who own a firearm, which you have a right to do, um, need to be responsible about the ownership of that. First, keep them locked in a safe away from your children. Keep them locked in a safe away from your children. Get them away from your kids. Don't let your kids near the guns. The kids should never, 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 never. A minor should never have unsupervised access to a firearm for any purpose whatsoever. No. They, somebody put, it was pretty, pretty great statement. Um, You know, nobody's allowed to rent a car until the age of 25. Yes, yes. And, and, and then, you know, just the brain of an individual is not fully formed in their no, teenage and, years. No, and when, when you get a driver's license, how many hours do you have to go through of, right. of instruction with someone 18 years of age or older? Yeah. How many hours do you have to certify that you do before? No, do you have to? No. In some of these states, there's constitutional carry, which the NRA will argue about. The thing that I don't like about constitutional carry is that it it says that uh, concealed carry um, licenses are not required in that state unless you want want them for reciprocity. No, right. bad idea. You mm-hmm. should always, always, always have to take a, a, a firearm safety class when you go uh, to to get a driver's license. You have to do those 60 hours. Absolutely. That, that you are capable of safely operating a motor vehicle because otherwise it endangers people's lives so yes. gun if right. you don't safely use them. Right. So so take a gun safety class. Learn how to use it. Be a responsible gun owner. You being a responsible gun owner and keeping firearms out of the hands of minors can be a part of the solution to this problem. But we have to invest a lot of money in mental health. Absolutely. That has to be part of the problem, part of the solution as well. Yeah, I mean, time and time again, it's it's about, you know, the kid was troubled mentally. Um, bullying was happening. Right. So so let's let's get more trained counselors in our schools Let's hire psychologists and psychiatrists if we need to. Let's invest in mental health, destigmatize it. There's nothing wrong with getting help. I've gotten no. help with chronic depression. Absolutely. Uh, it's part I, of life. I mean, it's part of life. It is. It is. No, nobody and should it, feel it, ashamed for, for needing help. Especially in our age group, Paul, and in, in, yes. in younger age groups than us, it's, it's very common to be depressed, and it's okay. Right. There's so much crap going on that your brain and your body doesn't know what to think. And of course, your chemicals are out of whack. Right. Because 
people in middle school and high school are cruel sometimes. Absolutely. So Absolutely. let's invest more in mental health treatment for God's sake. But, it, but it, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that we shouldn't offer thoughts and prayers because we should. We should. Um, our prayers will not bring back the people who have died, but they can help the people who are left behind to heal. I, I sincerely believe that. Um, and, and so I'm not going to say that, that we need to stop that, but I will say that those are no longer enough. Too many people no. have died. Too many people have died at the hands of gun violence. We have to do something. We've got to do it now. We are, you know, we, Rob and I, my, our next podcast that we do together will be on, on, uh, on the gun reform issue <laughs> because we do, we truly could go on. I could go on for hours about it. I'd have strong opinions say. about the second amendment and what it actually means and how it should be read. And, um, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it, but I am in total agreement with you. Um, those, those, get those bills passed. Yes, uh, to, to tomorrow, please. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm tired of this. This, it's too soon to talk about it. Don't politicize it. No, it's oh, not no. too soon. Yeah. No, it's not. And we need it, to politicize it because too many people have died. Right. It goes way past politics. This is and, this is human life. And, and damn it, Paul. You and I should not feel scared about bringing kids into the world because no. because there should there's the you know some kind of likelihood now that they might die in a school shooting. No, we shouldn't be scared of that. No, there was we a, should be saying someone someone was interviewed one of the children at the most recent uh, school shooting in Santa Fe. She was asked. Do you, do you did you ever think this would happen at your school? And that the reporter was obviously hoping to get a a a no, so as to um, let the viewer feel at ease, as in okay, it's not going to happen to me. And she responded, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought this would happen." Children, they had done it. They had done a, they had done a drill about that. the past week. Right. We should not be thinking about that. We should not be thinking about that. Children should not have no. to worry about that. No. Their minds are too young. We need to protect their innocence. We do. We need to let them be children. Yes. And let them grow up with positive childhoods that foster growth and creativity and innovation, not go to sleep at night worrying if one day the the school bully is going to come shoot up their art classroom. Right. No. Right. No. Get those bills passed. Do it now. And if you want to be part of the solution, call your congresspeople, call your senators, and demand that they act today. And you know what? There are elections in November. All 435 yep. representatives are up for re-election. 34 yep. senators are up for re-election. If you contact yours and they don't vote to make a change and make a change right now and this matters to you, then you know what? You go find a candidate to run. And if right. you don't find a candidate, then you run. Right. Yeah. Put on your tennis shoes, go knock some doors and run, because the only way that it will ever get through to Washington, if they don't solve the problem now, the only way it'll ever get through is if there's some kind of reaction at the polls in November and people lose seats because of their of, of their unwillingness to act. Last night, uh, Kentucky had primaries. The state house majority leader was part of a, of a bad bill on education. 
Mm-hmm. He lost unexpectedly. The majority leader of the state house of representatives lost unexpectedly in a primary race to a teacher. Yeah. Because because teachers rallied around his campaign. They came. They volunteered. They put on their tennis shoes. They got out clipboards. They made phone calls. They knocked doors. You can do this. You, to be part of the solution, have got to do this. Stand up for what you think. Do it now and be part of the change that you wish to see because this is how it happens. This is representative democracy at its finest. Go be part of it because without you, we're not going to make any progress. None. Yep, absolutely. That's we are we are at a, at a at a pivotal point in our nation's history. We are. Well, I know we've gone on here for a very long time, Paul, and longer than we probably intended. But do we have any other questions that were asked of us that we need to answer before we wrap up the show tonight? I think we actually covered everything. I think we got to what we needed to get to. Um, oh, good, good. We we've we've answered the questions of the people and if if more come then we'll just have to get on and do it again we will do it again this is so much fun absolutely i'm i I, this has been a great way to uh to come together to um seek our own bipartisanship and to get others to hopefully play and to work for it yes you know, Paul, um, I, I cannot wait until the day that you and I run for office as long as we never run against each other. <laughs> I, I, I could not agree more because I, I, would, I would get smoked by you, Rob. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> All right. Well, Rob, thank you so much for having me on. And, How soon, uh, Paul? How soon? How soon are you going to run? Oh, well, the time for me. You know, I got to get through law school first. Once I yeah. graduate law school, 